Who likes free stuff? Who likes free stuff? Who likes free stuff? Look under your pews. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, I, I think there's not, uh, there's not very many of us that um, doesn't like something free. Um, I, uh, Holly will send me to the store uh, to pick up one thing and one thing only. I will go for lunch meat. And when I go for lunch meat, I will end up coming back with 12 boxes of cereal along with that lunch meat. And do you want to know why? Because they're buy one, get one free. Never buy cereal at full price, ever. Always get it on sale. Anything you think about where somebody's offering something to you at, at no cost, no charge to you, you're going to jump after it most of the time, unless it's like a free puppy. <laughs> In that case, you know, like that's not necessarily free. It's free on the front end, but not, not on the back end. But we're all, we're all kind of like inclined towards something that's free. Monday is a holiday. That means a free for a lot of us. It means a free day off, no work. But freedom always comes at a cost. Whenever I get that discount cereal, the store that I'm purchasing from is taking a hit, knowing that I'm gonna buy lunch meat to go along with my 12 boxes of cereal, it always comes at a cost. Our employers, when they give us time off, those of us that are generating revenue that's counted into into the budget for the year, freedom always comes at a cost to someone. This morning, we're gonna really hone in on this idea of of freedom. We're gonna be looking in John chapter eight, verses 31 through 38. So if you have a copy of scripture with you, if you'd open it up or turn it on um, to uh, John chapter eight, starting in verse 31. We're gonna read through this text and then we're gonna kind of comb back through it, pulling up five truths, five things that we see from it and really elevating the person of Jesus Christ. I wanna say on the front end, as we talk about freedom and we lean into it personally, and we say that freedom always comes at a cost, where we are going to land this morning is that freedom is offered to you and I. It's offered to us, it's given to us freely, but it comes at a cost. So read with me in uh, John chapter eight, starting in verse 31. It says, so uh, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're offspring of Abraham and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not, does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. So where we land in this passage, Jesus has been teaching, you can read back up through the beginning um, of chapter eight, and you'll see that Jesus is teaching to a a group of Jewish people, a, a group of religious folks. And they're there and he's teaching, and we come to this point in verse 31 where Jesus has said lots of things. He's talked about dependence on his father, um, just a whole myriad of things that is kind of pointing to his divinity and his connection um, as the son of God to his perfect father. And we get to this point, verse 31, and it says, um, 
that Jesus said to those who believe. In verse 30 it says, uh, specifically as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So there were people that Jesus is talking to in this, in this passage where they've heard these words that he's saying and they put belief in them. They think that what he is saying is true. So there's this kind of mental affirmation that goes towards the things that Jesus has been saying. But when we get to verses 31 and 32, Jesus knows their belief. He knows that they have heard what he has said and that they have kind of acknowledged it as true. But Jesus takes them a step just past that, past just belief. Um, I can believe that this uh, stool, that it would hold me up if I sat on it, okay? But I'm not really acting on that belief. I'm not really putting faith in that stool unless I sit and put my full weight on it. At that point, I am um, kind of, showing you my full confidence in the belief that I have that that stool is gonna hold, hold me up. And so Jesus kind of takes that next step with them. They've uh, believed, they've heard what he said, and then he speaks a little bit further to those who have believed. He says, if you abide in my word, listen to what, what he says here, if you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So in these uh, three verses, or in these two verses, Jesus answers three questions in the way that he's speaking to these people who've believed in him. He answers three questions. He says, he answers, what does a disciple do? How can someone know the truth? And how can someone be free? Okay, just the way that this text progresses. If you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus is speaking to them in a way that's authoritative, that's definitive, that we can know how to be a disciple of him, we can know how to follow him, that we can know truth, specific, authoritative, timeless truth, and that we can be made free. Now these questions, even in the context of the church, we, we like to answer these individually rather than corporately. We like to answer these more on a scale than we do with kind of definitive responses to each of them. What does it mean to follow Jesus? That's, that's the question that he's answering. If you're gonna be my disciples, if you're gonna follow me, this is what you're going to do. So individually we like to say, well, if, if I'm gonna be a disciple of Jesus, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check off kind of like my spiritual boxes. I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna go to Sunday school, I'm gonna serve the poor, I'm gonna give to the work of the church and to the needy. Um, I'm gonna sometimes not say or do, sometimes do these things. And so there's kind of like this sliding scale that we operate on that makes following Jesus kind of a relative choice. My following Jesus looks like this while your following Jesus may look like that. The second question, um, how can we know truth? And this is a question that we could just go on for days about. The idea that truth can be definitive, that everything is not gray, but there is black and white. That there are not many ways to a relationship with God, but there is only one way is what the scriptures tell us. And that is through Jesus. That we can know specific timeless, unchanging truth, especially in our day where that seems to be, again, on that sliding scale. And then how to be free. We wanna answer this on our own. How can I be intellectually free? How can I operate in a way where I don't feel guilt, I don't feel burden, where I can rid myself of responsibility? How can I be free? I wanna answer that on an individual le level rather than buying into what what in the scriptures Jesus is telling us we can know, can know definitively. 
we look at these questions and we maybe kind of lean into the idea that definitive answers to each one of them, that they'd be restrictive. So you're gonna tell me how to follow Jesus. You're gonna tell me what truth is. You're gonna tell me how to be free. When in reality, leaning into the scriptures and reading what Jesus tells us, it's not restrictive, it's not pulling us back away from joy, it's not robbing us of liberty, it's not unloving, but in reality, Jesus' teaching here, it's the most freeing, all-encompassing, loving thing that he can offer to us. So he says, abide in my word. Abide in my word and then you will truly be my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. This word abide, um, when you look at it in the scriptures, um, it can be translated in a, a whole different number of ways. But the idea in abiding is remaining, to kind of stand put but continue forward. So you're kind of resolutely secured in a way, anchored to a fixed point that even as you're moving, there's confidence and steadfastness in, in, in your kind of like centered point. He says to abide. He's essentially telling them that the answers to all of these questions is to remain, to abide, to rest, to set ourselves in the authority of Jesus, to remain, to not move, to rest on his authority, on his position, to trust in him. If you trust in me, if you trust in me that bears fruit in your life, then you will be my disciples. If you trust in me, if you rest in my authority, then you will know the truth. If you trust in me, if you rest in my authority, then you will be free. He's essentially saying, get in the boat with me. Trust me to chart the perfect course, to get you to the final destination. I think about, um, I think about the idea of even kind of getting in the boat and trust and, and following someone, kind of putting your life in someone's hands. And one of the, the uh, kind of closest examples that kind of resonated in my mind was the idea of white water rafting. Have you guys have you ever been white water rafting before? It can be a really interesting, ex no one in here has been white water rafting. Not one single person in this room has been, all right, okay, there we go. When you go white water rafting, you get placed with a boat with roughly four things, five things. You get a boat, you get a paddle, you get a helmet, um, you get a life jacket, and you get a guide, right? And these guides, if you have been a guide before, I wanna apologize on the front end, they're kind of a mixed bag, right? They're the guys that you get that, they have like the crazy eyes and you know that they're gonna try and spin you and flip you and like laugh at you the entire time that they're doing it. And then you have the guy that they just like seem steady and calm and maybe they're a little bit older and you're like, man, I can really trust, I can really trust the way that this guide is gonna lead me. And so you get in the boat with the guide and you're going down the river and you've literally placed your life in the confidence that this guy that's sitting in the back of the boat that effortlessly is just kind of like sticking his paddle in the back of the water, directing where the raft is gonna go, that he can be trusted, that he's gonna get you in the right spot, that he has your best interest in mind, that even if he does lead you to a place where you could potentially fall over, that he's gonna reach that, that paddle out by the T-grip, because that's how you're supposed to do it, put it out and pull you back in. You're placing your life in his hands in some ways when you step in the boat with him. You're abiding in him, you're trusting in him, you're resting in him. 
And this is the same type of abiding in the true authority of Jesus that he's calling us to. Come rest in me, trust in me. I can be trusted. If we remain under his authority, we don't move from his control. We can rest on his purposes for all things, not just some things, but all things. And as we do this, we will know the truth because we're hinging our lives on the truest reality. And this truth of ultimate trust in Christ, it will set us free, nothing else. Jesus is talking here about a permanent freedom, one that's not temporary or physical, but one that is spiritual and eternal. We wanna abide in the authority of Jesus. But we see the um, Jews, we see their response here. Jesus says, abide in me, trust in me, follow, in, follow me. You'll be my disciples, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. And then here we see kind of their response in verse uh, 33. It says, but they answered him, we're the offspring of Abraham, we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? So they're listening and they kind of miss the point right, like we often do. They hear what he's saying and their mind automatically goes to what is directly in, in front of them. They essentially say, uh-uh, not so fast. You're gonna say that we need freedom and that our way to freedom is through trust and discipleship by abiding in you, Jesus. But look at us. And they kind of go through three different things that we see in their response. They say, look at us. We're children of Abraham, we come from a family of steep, rich faith. We've got this long legacy. Our forefather Abraham, the one that God spoke to, that looked up at the stars in the heaven and said, as many as the stars are, so will be your descendants. We are those descendants. We are not slaves, but we are free because we're counting on God to be good to his promise to our forefather Abraham. But Jesus takes it a step further for them. He's not just talking about corporate freedom that God has promised to his people Israel. He's talking about individual freedom that comes through God's making good on his promise in the person of Jesus. So they're leaning on their history. We come from Abraham. The second is, and I think this is kind of funny, we've never been slaves to anyone is what they say. So we see him leaning on history, but here we see him kind of pointing to denial. Such a huge portion of Israel's history has been one of slavery. They were, in, they were enslaved in Egypt. They were enslaved in Babylon. They're currently in this context enslaved in Rome. So they don't even see the kind of reality that's sitting right in front of them. I come from a good family. I come from Abraham's family. We've never been slaves. We're not slaves now. We can do whatever we want. And then last, they lean on experience. They basically say, who are you to say that we will become free? What kind of authority do you have to be able to tell us, one, that we're enslaved, and two, that we need freedom? They don't believe that what Jesus says is true. They question from their experience. How can this be so? I look at these three things, this kind of like idea of denial and history and experience, um, and it, uh, it reminds me of myself in a lot of ways. There are times where I can be in a reality that I will kind of like dismiss or rationalize it on my own based off of my past experience or based off of the family or the heritage that I come from. 
I can be in denial. I also, I also think about just kind of the everyday, how I see this in front of me, even in my own two-year-old, um, whenever he's getting ready to go to bed. We'll get finished lunch, finished dinner, and he's obviously ready to go to sleep. He has a full belly, he has dark circles under his eyes, he might potentially be acting out, maybe, possibly, like a two-year-old. And we'll look at him, and he's finished, and he knows what comes next. And he will look at us, and he'll say, I'm not sleepy, I'm not sleepy. And we'll take him upstairs and get him ready for bed. Oh, I see some, like, you get this. You get what I'm saying. I'm not sleepy, I'm not sleepy. There's like this denial of a reality in his life. He's relying on the fact that he took a nap. I was in my bed earlier, he'll say sometimes. Not earlier, but he say, took nap, took nap. He'll rely on his past experience and deny his present reality because of what he knows is coming toward him, because it is actually what, what he needs. So just as we need to abide in the authority of Jesus, our response is often living in this false reality, responding just like these Jews have done, that Jesus is speaking to. He says to us, I offer you freedom. I offer you freedom. Abide in me. Trust in me, rest in me, and I will give you freedom. And we look at the words of Jesus, and we say, I don't need freedom. I can do whatever I want. I can end up in the same spot that you would get me on my own, all by myself. I'm free because I declare that I'm free. What Jesus does then is he helps us to re-understand the difference between slavery and freedom. Look with me at verse uh, 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus clarifies what he's talking about. He's not talking about the temporary. He's not talking about the physical, but he's talking about the eternal. He tells them that anybody that practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who practices a sin is slave to sin. This, if you remember back with me, if we go back to Romans chapter three, whenever Paul is writing to the Romans, he says that all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All of us. This is a reality not just for the Jews, but it's a reality for us this morning. Apart from Jesus, we are slaves to sin. Sin is our master. It tells us what to do and it punishes us when we do not do it. It gives us one task to be completed only to hand us another, pushing us into submission denying us true freedom. Anyone who practices a sin is slave to sin, and apart from Jesus, we are all slaves to sin. This is our reality, that we are stuck, we are shackled by our master, sin. We have surrendered our freedom to it. 
But we look at this and we see this passage and we say, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And we move into this kind of like series of rationalizations, right? Like, surely, I mean, I, sin isn't really a slave. I, it's, it's a small thing, right? Like I can, I can make one bad decision and that doesn't necessarily ne- pull me into this whole life of destitute. It's just a small thing. Sin doesn't have that kind of power. The power of sin is strong, it is tempting, it is convincing. It is a tool of the enemy that pushes us toward death and destruction and final separation from God. But praise God that his son Jesus, his strength is stronger than the power of any sin. So we rationalize, we say it's not that big of a deal, but we are held captive. If we look at this passage, it reminds us of our condition, okay? And if you have made a decision to follow Christ and you've placed your faith and your hope in him, it reminds us of our condition apart from Jesus, that we are stuck, we are held fast to a way that is in opposition to God apart from Jesus. But if you have not made that decision to place your trust, your faith, your life in Jesus, this is your current condition now, And we often feel it. Those of us that are not in a relationship with Christ, we feel those tings, those pulls, that lack of of comfort, that, um, that pointlessness that we kind of find ourselves in at times. And those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, we often feel that kind of tension of what Paul talks about in Romans chapter eight, that that tension between flesh and spirit. And we remember what that slavery was like. And at times that slavery looks tempting to us. We wanna move back toward it. Everyone who practices sin is slave to sin. Our intentions and our actions, they show our need for freedom, to be made free finally from our slave master of sin. We think about um, sin as maybe being this thing that um, that can be managed, that we can look at it and we can say, this is just one issue, it's just a small thing, that Jesus died for my sin, but he didn't necessarily have to die for this one because this is just a small little baby sin, right? Like he kind of sweeps over the small baby sins. We rationalize our need for a savior. We even maybe come to the point where we think that it's just a small problem, it's just this one issue, when in reality it's not just this one issue or this small, small problem, it is who we are apart from Jesus. Does anybody have a, a door in your house where it seems like it's just, it won't close right? It will either stay open all the time or you'll try and shut it and it gets caught on the top corner or on the side. And so you think, I just need to level off the side of the door. I just need to plane the side of it and then surely it'll go straight into the side. Well, then you notice it's not just one door, it's two. And so instead of just addressing the door or the door frame, and in reality, you have this huge foundational issue that your house is tilting and shifting and that's the reason your door is not shutting or staying open anymore. It's the exact same thing for us. Sin is not this thing that can just be managed in one small action. It's this huge foundational issue that has to be addressed at the core of who we are. And the only way that it can be addressed is through Jesus. Sinfulness, slavery to sin is not this just one action that we execute. It's this condition that we live in apart from Jesus. We are living in this false reality 
but we have to understand our slavery. Sin is our slave master. Just as we understand our slavery, we also want to receive the freedom that's offered to us in Jesus. Look with me in verse 35. It says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. It is the son who remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be made free indeed. Jesus offers us a trade. He sees our sinful condition. God knows our sinful condition. And Jesus is the plan to rescue us back into relationship with God. So Jesus offers us this trade. He takes our sin, what separates us from God. He takes it to the cross and he covers our shame with his body. And he dies the death that we deserve for what separates us from God in order to secure for us our freedom. So if, if sin, if we're a slave to sin by practicing any sin, Jesus comes to us and he offers us free liberty through his life and his death and his resurrection so that when God would look at us, he doesn't see our offense. He sees the perfect righteousness of Christ, just like we had always lived under God's law in, in obedience to him. He sees Jesus' perfect record on our behalf. That is our freedom. That is our freedom. Jesus invites us to rest in his authority, to rest in his control, that the truth will be free to us and the truth will set us free. So how does he do this? Verse 35 again, it says, the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This verse, it sounds a little tricky, right? Like who stays in the house and who goes from the house? Read it like this. The slave does not have permanent residence within the family. They're not a permanent family member. The slave is someone who is either purchased or born into that condition within the context of the house. So a slave cannot set another slave free. No one else is gonna come along to us and gonna offer us freedom from our condition of slavery to sin. No one's gonna do that. It's gonna take someone outside of our condition to offer that freedom to us. And Jesus does that for us. He is the son within the family that comes to us and extends to us the offer of freedom. And his offer, it's ongoing, it's permanent. He offers it to us and all we do is we, we place our trust and faith in him as the only one who can free us from a life that is separated from God and eternity outside of his presence. So what does this freedom look like? Jesus comes to liberate us. He comes to set us free from the condition that holds us fast. What does it look like? Flip with me to um, Romans uh, chapter six. We're gonna read a little chunk together. Romans uh, chapter six, and we're gonna start in verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were just once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now you present your member as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. 
For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the beginning of those things, from, from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification in its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are freed to follow Jesus. We are freed to follow his ways. We are free to emulate his life. As the one who came and delivered good news to us, we therefore are ambassadors to those who are around us, carrying the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. We're walking forward in faith and obedience that when people look at us as Jesus Christ church, people who have placed their faith and hope in Jesus, that we not only look different, we have a reason for our difference. And that is because we are free in Jesus. We are no longer held captive, but we are made free. We cannot just look away from our sin. We cannot look to someone else to free us. We have to look to Jesus who is the son, the only one who can liberate us. Now there are times, there are times, and you're gonna identify with me in this this morning, There are times where we know this freedom, right? This freedom that we feel from the guilt and shame that is is the result of our sin. We, We feel the weight of that. We feel separation from God at times and separation from others. And then we lean into the forgiveness that is offered to us through the person of Jesus. We confess our sin. God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness through Jesus Christ. And we know that freedom, we live in that freedom, not just in our heads, but we feel it, we experience it. We're not weighed down by the result of our sin because we know that Jesus has taken it for us. The shackles have been taken off and we are walking as liberated people. But then there are times where we look back to the shackles. We look back to them again and we pick them up We see how they feel around our wrist. We step forward in sin. And that sin wants to make us us its slave. But through the power of Jesus Christ, we cannot be held captive from him. The life and death and resurrection of Jesus, it offers us freedom now and continually. So will God, through Jesus, will he ever grow tired of extending and reminding us of our freedom? Do we ever come to a point where the shackles are on our hands and God looks at us and he says, you're getting what you deserve? No, he looks at us and he says, Jesus got what you deserved in order that you can have freedom and walk in freedom. Only through Jesus. So we experience liberation, we walk in freedom. We know the goodness that our Father extends to us, living in obedience to him, reflecting his good nature in the way that we're following Christ. But the next time we see those shackles, they look a little less tempting. We don't wanna walk as close to them. We kinda tiptoe over next beside it. We maybe lean down and look at it and get a little closer than maybe we wanted to. 
But the freedom that we live in, it is so compelling. It pulls us away from the idea of going back to slavery, slavery ever again. But friends, there's gonna be that time as long as we are living in this life, on this earth, breathing breath in our lungs, we're gonna live in that tension between flesh and spirit where we're gonna be tempted to move back towards slavery. When what Jesus says is, I am the son who has declared your freedom. Be so captivated, abide in, rest in, stand your feet firm in the freedom that I have extended you through my authority that looking at those shackles, they look like nothing. They pale in comparison to the freedom that God offers us through Jesus. He frees us to follow him. And what Paul talks about in the passage that we just read, where he talks about pursuing sanctification, it is that process of hating sin more and loving Jesus and the freedom that he offers to us more. Hating sin and loving Jesus, stepping away from the shackles, stepping forward in freedom and following Christ. Does this mean that we will ever come to a time where we are free of sin? No, but does this mean that we will ever come to a time where God is tired of extending to us the freedom that he offers in Jesus? No. This last, uh, this last verse that we're gonna look at, these last two verses, it kind of hones us down where we are. This is verse um, 37. He says, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because, of, because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. What Jesus does is he kind of circles back to where they are. He says, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham. He says to them, I know who you are. He says, I know that you plan to kill me. I know the condition of your heart. I know that sin is your master. And I know that you need freedom because my word is not in you. God knows our condition. He knows our need. He knows that we need freedom. And he extends that to us in Jesus. Jesus liberates us the scriptures tell us that he doesn't just set us free, but he then adopts us. He pulls us into his family, that we become heirs of our father and king. That freedom is a condition we get to continue to live in. So if we look at this passage, we don't just wanna know God's promises. We don't just wanna do what we have heard from our father, the way that Jesus is talking to the Jews here but we wanna know who we are in Christ, a freed people. So what, what do we do with this? You get the idea, do you get the idea that in Christ you are made free? That you no longer have to walk in darkness of sin, but that you get to walk in the light of Jesus. So what do we do? We claim hold to the freedom that God has given us in Jesus. We get to live in the joy that comes in uninterrupted favor with God through the forgiveness of our sins in Christ. We get to live in close relationship with our brother and our sister, showing the very nature and character of God in the way that we communicate and care and love for one another. We get to live like freed people, not having to slurk back into darkness, not having to hide our shackles behind our back, but being able to stand bare in front of one another 
as people who are in need of the exact same thing. We all need freedom. And not just freedom here, not just freedom to live in, not just physical freedom, but freedom that will endure forever, for all eternity, through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Friends, God's plan for your freedom, for my freedom, is Jesus, and he frees us up to follow him. Nothing else, nothing else. Not to just feel better about ourselves, not to just not live under guilt or shame, even though we do get to feel those things, but to follow Jesus, to focus our life's aim and effort on reflecting the good nature of our King, Jesus. We are free. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we, we thank you that you are a God who knows us. You know who we are. You know every detail of our lives. You know those things that we want to hide, the things that we've said, the things that we've thought, the things that are an offense towards you. You know those things about us. And God, you have covered up that offense through the life and death and resurrection of your son, Jesus, in order to free us to follow him to not live in shame or guilt or darkness. And God, this morning, my prayer is that those of us who have placed our faith and hope in Jesus, we would be reminded of that freedom again, that we have nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of, that we've been given freedom through Jesus, that we would rejoice in that, that we would live in that fact, that it would compel us so far away from sin, from offending you, from those shackles that have hold our, held our lives, God, that we would lean into the freedom that only comes through Jesus. And those of us who are here this morning that um, the idea of freedom feels so far away and feels so foreign, God, I pray that you would do the work that you do, that your spirit would draw men and women to yourself, that they would experience the true joy that comes through the life-giving nature of Jesus and his life for us. God, we thank you that you have made us free indeed through your son, Jesus. By your mercy on us, we pray these things in his name. Amen.